Hello, welcome to the Scotch and Smokes podcast. This is a fan podcast about Mad Men. My name is Brian. And I'm Seth. And this is Jesse. And this episode, we're going to be talking about the second episode of Season 5 for Mad Men entitled Tea Leaves. If you want to find us, we're on Facebook. If you look up Scotch and Smokes, and we're also on iTunes, and we have a website that's madcast.net, where you can follow and our... We're, I think, Brian, we should mention that we're actually smoking and drinking scotch as we're talking here. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah we, we, yeah, yeah, we could have that illusion, sure. Okay. <laughs> as, we, as we record in the middle of the day. If it was 1966, I sure we would be, but yeah. Uh, maybe someday we will. I would like to actually do that. We could do the Ron Moore tradition of telling what scotch we're sipping as we do our podcast, right? Right, right. Absolutely. Just as a little background, I guess we could talk a little bit about ourselves. Who wants to go first? I can start us off. I'm uh, Jesse Jackson. Not the Jesse Jackson, just a Jesse Jackson. Longtime TV fan of all kinds of TV, mostly genre, but will watch almost anything. On TV, and if you listen to my lovely bride, she'll tell you I watch way too much TV. Uh, was a pretty regular contributor back in the day of the Galactica Quorum through emails and voicemails, and regular contributor to the Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV forum. And uh, I am one of the newbies on the Scaper Chronicles Farscape rewatch, and so when. Brian said, hey, you want to talk Mad Men? I said, absolutely. I can't think of a better podcast to be part of. All right. My name's Seth. I guess I can give my full name, Seth Ehrenstein. I used to be a a full-time television critic for a trade rag called Cable Facts Daily. And now I've moved over to uh, another part of the cable industry that I'll sort of leave uh, off the table at the moment. But it's it's totally legitimate, although I'm not. And <laughs> and I have been watching Mad Men since day one. Actually, been watching it before it got on television. I was approached by AMC to write a story about the strategy that they were undertaking of doing original programming. Because at the time they didn't, they didn't want me to review Mad Men, but they did send me the first two episodes. And I can remember putting the disc in my machine and going, Oh God, this is really going to stink. Um, you know, AMC's first attempt at original scripted programming. God, this is going to be awful. And of course, you know, within a few minutes, I was realized how wrong I was and how I loved it. So anyway, I've been a fan since a little bit before it came on the air, about three, four months before it came on the air. That's about it. Brian? I'm Brian, and I have been doing podcasting for about, God, I don't even know if it's five years now. I'm not sure. I have lost track. It's four or five years. I started off doing a podcast about Battlestar Galactica called The Galactica Quorum, and we had a great ride through that series all the way up until the end, and we were pretty successful. We won a Parsec Award and had a lot of fun, visited a lot of places, interviewed a lot of the stars, and met a lot of friends, among which Jesse was one. He wrote in a couple of times, left voicemails, and a lot of good things to say, and we invited him into the group, and we've done other podcasts since. I have another podcast called Geek Quorum, where we talk about general sci-fi, and uh, there's always podcast ideas about things to do. It's just a matter of finding time to do them. Mad Men came about because it's just a really good show. I, I don't watch a lot of TV. The TV I do watch, I try to find shows that I can be committed to and watch every episode because I like story, I like arc, I like characters. And so I was drawn to this one because it has all those elements. And it's been nearly two years since season four ended. And ever since then, I've been like, if this comes back or when it comes back, I would like to 
do a podcast about it because there's lots of good things in the show to talk about and it's got a lot of depth to it. So that's the kind of thing I like to discuss. I like to, in podcasts, crack open the nut and look inside and see what's going on with the show and the characters and make observations and speculations. I think that's the fun part of it. And so with that, let's talk about this current episode, which is, again, the second episode, although in the nomenclature it's referred to as 503 by the studio. Tea Leaves answers a question of uh, where and what happened to Betty. The very first time we see her, she's struggling with a zipper. Again, they did a nice job of kind of faking us out a little bit because some of us who follow the show know that the actress, January Jones, was pregnant at some point. And so we were wondering, are they going to write into the show that she was pregnant and having another child? Or how are they going to fit this into the story? As it turns out, she basically just has gained a lot of weight <laughs> via a, a fat right. suit. Right. So is that as, as our jumping off point? What thoughts did you have seeing Betty and her return and her new physique? Well, this really couldn't have happened to a nicer person getting fat. Because, I mean, if you remember in the earlier seasons, and this really isn't her fault, totally at least, her mother gave her, or at least we had been told by Betty, that her mother gave her a lot of problems when she was younger because she was fat, apparently. She was a fat kid. The mother made Betty, the young Betty, walk home from school instead of taking the bus or some some sort of issue like that so she wouldn't be so fat. So now, in return, Betty, with little Sally in past seasons, was very careful in terms of watching her weight, and you don't want to eat that, you'll get fat. So, you know, what goes around comes around, I guess, and here we have, I won't call her ugly Betty, but and I don't want to call her fat Betty, but uh, anyway, if the title fits, right? right? Jesse, what did you think? Yeah, you know, it is very unsettling because January Jones is a a very attractive person and seeing her not in the way we're used to seeing is jarring. In fact, my lovely bride said, you know, what does it say about me that I almost don't want to watch her? But I think that is by design. I think this was an amazing creative decision that instead of, you know, when in the past people have been pregnant, they try to hide the pregnancy and such. And I thought this was just wonderful how they wrote this in. I was really watching it the second time, trying to figure out how much of this is enhancement, how much of it is makeup, and how much of it is actually just her having, you know, in real life, some extra poundage due to the pregnancy. And I also thought it was a neat twist of not just having her gain weight, but going through a scare in this time frame. If you notice, they didn't use the word cancer till almost halfway through the episode. It's almost they didn't want to say that word. About that, not about the cancer part, Jesse, but about the scare. I'm not so sure it's a scare. And in other words, I'm not so sure it's over. Yeah. Betty was the only one who took that call. She didn't seem ecstatic. She didn't seem relieved. Well, we never see her ecstatic, really, but she didn't even seem relieved when she got that call. I don't know if she's just... I I don't know. I could be wrong. I could be totally wrong that, that she really is sick and she didn't tell her husband. They certainly left it kind of vague, and I appreciate the way they did do that. It reminds me of a a scene, just to go back to another show, which used to be great way back in its early days, which was ER. And they had a scene where Dr. Benton, who was having an affair with a nurse at the time, and she ended up being HIV positive, And he had to get a test himself, and he got the phone call for the results. And 
these things always happen on TV through a phone call and you see him taking the call and he, he has a kind of a slumped expression and he puts the phone down, takes a breath. And I think that's the way that scene ended. You didn't know until later when he told someone, I'm okay, it's negative, that he was negative. And, but there was lots of speculation. Is he truly okay? I mean, because we didn't hear. Just by the way he received the news and the way Betty received the news, like you pointed out, she could well be covering it up. But it definitely leaves you to wonder, for sure. And I thought that it was interesting that the doctor called her middle-aged, and she's mm. in her middle 30s. I go back to when I was 18 or 19, and I was reading an Ellery Crane novel, of all things. And in the book, the character is like in their 40s or late 30s, 40s, and they got married. And I remember thinking at that time, God, why would you bother getting married when you're that old? You know? <laughs> You know, and now that I am past 50 in the timeline, uh, you know, I'm like 34 seems like a child. Doesn't seem middle-aged at all to me. But, you know, she's had her kids. She's gone. And the doctor was not very nice to her. Not sympathetic. Not, oh, yeah, let me help you. Just like, hey, you got to show up some willpower. You know, you just quit caring. I think that line definitely was intentional like everything else in the show. I'm sure that was an intentional line because I thought it would help to highlight the generational gap between when Don and Harry went to the Stones concert. Right. And they're seeing these teenagers who are just like so hip and they look pretty square. I mean, at least Don did. He Mm -hmm. was cool, but he was like, Harry was trying to like get into the swing of things. But Don, Don is a cool cat. Uh, but he doesn't seem unwilling. He seems unwilling to go along with this kind of new cultural movement towards counterculture. And he's like, I don't need that. I'm cool. I don't need to like do this other stuff. And I think the girl is looking at him like, you know, you're a good looking guy. But if you weren't a good looking guy, you totally would be a square, you know, because you just right. you're out of place here. You know, you look good. You're you're uptight. Right. You're right. absolutely right. This whole episode was about, well, it was about many things, but one of the overarching themes is the generations and how things are changing and young versus old. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's partly because John Hamm himself actually directed this episode and, and uh, you know, he's sort of on the cusp of, the, the person himself is on the cusp of uh, sort of entering middle age. I mean, he's still very young and everything, but... You know, he's looking that way. Maybe that influenced his directing of this episode where we see young people being hired by the agency, minorities being hired by the agency. It's definitely the generations, the times they are changing, if I could uh, take that phrase. Uh, that was that exact- often used phrase. Yes, Seth, that's exactly the phrase I was going to use. There are yeah. changing. Though I will tell you, just as a side note, and I will ask you both this question, I don't know today would I be comfortable enough telling my boss, hey, do you mind if I go and have a joint? (laughs) But (laughs) I I just found it very odd. Harry is just clueless in a lot of ways. Because he's like, hey, we had fun, huh, Don? And Don's looking at him like, no, we didn't. I don't even like you. (laughs) (laughs) Don doesn't really like anybody. Yes, it does. Harry certainly serves the role as the comedic character, though. I mean, with his, when he had the pot munchies and he was just like really – in the two episodes in a row now, he's been – served a lot yeah. of comic relief. And the show does need a little balance from the weighty sure. – no pun intended with Betty – but from the weighty issues that they, they sometimes face. 
true. I guess the other sort of the generation thing that hit me was the new guy who was hired, the Jewish guy who was hired, Michael, who, you know, seems relatively with it and modern and everything. I believe he's wearing jeans at his interviews, it looks like. And then he goes home, and his father is obviously an immigrant, an older generation, and then at the very end there, uh, when he finds out that his son has been hired by Sterling Cooper, he uh, gives him the, this sort of very traditional Jewish blessing that uh, a parent gives a, a child. And that's how the, the episode ends. I thought it was very touching. It was very nice. But it, again, showing the, the generations and things changing or, and, and some things staying the same. I thought it was fascinating how he was kind of all over the place in his interview with Peggy. And then, you know, he was so with it with Dawn and she's like, what the hell? And he's like, well, you told me to behave. I love the idea that Dawn is a legend in the advertising because of the letter. And he even said, that's all you have to say is the letter, you know, right. and everyone knows immediately what you're talking about. That <laughs> that was very cool. Yeah, the scene with the, the father was definitely drove home a lot of the generational plot mirroring that's been going on in this episode. There was a point during his interview, I think, when he said, well, I don't have any real family, so I'd be totally committed to this. And you could say, well, does that mean that when he says I don't have family, does that mean he doesn't have like a girlfriend or a family of his own? Or was he just somewhat embarrassed by his immigrant father? Or you could take that in any number of ways because you do find out in that short but really critical scene where you do see that he does have, you know, where he lives, what relationships he does have. He could have just been like this other character that came in and is going to be like kind of a screwball and he's going to, you know, Peggy's going to have to deal with him. But immediately from the first episode with that last scene, he gets a little bit of characterization and you have an insight into his character. You have a little sympathy for him and you're going to wonder, okay, what is going to drive him to perform and to move up in the world? Yeah, you know what I also like about the show that it can make fun of itself in that, uh, you know, of course, we'd have to find out how the character of Dawn, the new secretary that Dawn has, who's obviously uh, an African-American, a black woman, and we have Dawn and we have Dawn, and people obviously have gotten confused about it, and um, I'm not sure how they came up with that name, whether they thought it would be funny to do that, to have a secretary for a guy named Dawn, whose name is Dawn, or... I hope they didn't do it for this reason, but uh, that, that it is the dawn of a new age. That we uh, I hope they didn't do it for that reason, but maybe they did. I don't know. But that's why I like the show, because they make fun of themselves every now and then. And they did make fun of that, the, the fact that her name is Dawn. I think it, the one thing it could be is that it allows them to not focus solely on the fact that she is the black secretary and that there's one other thing that they can, because uh-huh. I don't think they want it to be all about that. It almost would be too on the head if they did that. So this is kind of blunts it a little bit, I think. And I thought it was good that she's not amused, that they're amused. I mean, she's like, it doesn't matter at all. And I think the answer to you, Seth, is it's both. I think they wanted to have the joke, and this is the not-so-subtle dawn of a new era, which we go back to the Dylan line, the times they are changing. And the show has done this type of character naming before. I mean... If you recall it, I believe it was in the second season when Don and Pete go out to California for the aviation conference and then Don wanders off and meets those European playboys and play women and meets this woman named Joy. 
and her name is Joy, and she represents Joy, obviously, and Don has a little fling with her and then kind of comes to his senses and realizes that he's a married man and he loves his family and Betty and all this, but uh, he has some joy um, mm. in California. One of my favorite episodes, by the way. Oh, yeah, it's a great episode. Yeah, Absolutely. Favorites. Let's see, continuing, let's see the generational theme. We have Pete taking a lot of credit and, again, minimalizing Roger. And I love Roger's line about yeah. how, forget what I said, he was my last hire. Watch your step. Mm. <laughs> I thought that was yes. great. You don't get a lot of Peggy and Roger interactions. and That's true. And here you did. One of the hints of Jane Espenson, she did a writing blog for a while, and she talked about doing a spec script that one of the tricks she recommends is to take two characters that don't interact with each other very often and have them interact because it will be unique and it'll be different. And I really liked Roger mentoring her. You know, the line, sweetheart, you're too good. No one's going to replace you here. So he's complimenting and condescending at the same time, you know, (laughs) calling her sweetheart. And I love the fact that she's so confident in her abilities that she doesn't mind hiring somebody good. Michael is good, and she wants good people around her because she knows that's going to up her game. Or at least that's how I saw it. Again, just thinking about generations and, and roles and everything, in the first two episodes or that first special that we saw, we saw a lot of a new character that hopefully will come back, uh, and that's Joan's mother and that sort of caustic relationship that they have. And here, uh, in this episode, we find a character who hasn't been on the show in quite a while, but I'm glad she's back, or at least in this episode she's back, and that is Henry's mother. Mm-hmm. And in that unusual visit she has with Betty, <laughs> wow, uh, she's quite a character. I liken her to Bert Cooper, because in this show it seems like Bert and Henry's mother, older people, know everything. Bert knows everything. He seems like he's an idiot. He knows everything. And by the same token, Henry's mother, it didn't take her very long to figure out that she didn't like Betty and why she didn't like Betty. She figured out Betty a lot sooner than Henry did. I think Henry's figured her out now. But Henry was, you know, bedazzled by her beauty. And now I think he realizes that uh, <laughs> there's more to the package than just the, the looks. I think his mother knew right away. I was going to ask, what does Henry see in Betty? I mean, I understand at the very beginning the attraction because she was gorgeous. And, right. You know, she right. was looking for some affection that she didn't have from Dawn and whatnot. But he stuck with her, he married her. And even in this episode, he's very tender to her and he's he says things to her even when she's being narcissistic and biting and just not being a very enjoyable personality. We've had scenes from last season where she was unhappy and he's like, but he's still kind of in it. He seems like, of all these characters, actually a pretty good person. (laughs) And um, aside from the fact that, you know, he got involved with her in the first place, but what is it that he does see in her now that attracts him to her and makes him love her? I'm not sure I know. I just think it's a situation that we've seen before, we've heard before in Mad Men. I mean, Faye Miller, Dr. Faye Miller said at one point, and I think this is a theme that comes up over and over again in this show, that Don only likes the beginnings of things. Well, Henry and Betty are at the beginning of things right now. They're still at the beginning of their marriage, whereas Don and Betty were married for about 10 years, 
and it was wearing thin. I think it's just the beginning, so I, I think that's why Henry still loves her. Mm-hmm. How skeptical is that for a reply, Brian? <laughs> uh, you know, Seth, from I, a, a person who's never been married, by the way. Uh, Jesse, uh, you're a person who is married, so why don't yes, you take a crack at it? I do think he loves her, and I think there is, if I have a complaint about the show, is that they have not given a full, rounded character in Betty. You know, I think we talked about it last time. No matter what Betty does, people don't like her. No matter what Don does, people like him. He honestly loves her, and he says, I don't see it. You know, I don't see this weight gain on you. And then she just is horrible. Well, of course you don't, because your mom's fat. (laughs) Right, right, right. One of the best lines of the show. Yeah. There has to be something, because from our perspective as an audience, she's attractive, but she's not a good mother. And she's smart, right? We talked about she's well-educated. Well-educated, so she should be able to do a good conversation. She should be. He is in politics as a support staff. I don't think he's running for politics himself, but he is part of the staff. By the way, we do need to talk about the throwaway line about Romney's an idiot, right? (laughs) Because that's – I did not catch that, and my wife brought up – she goes, you know who they're talking about, don't you? Yeah. No, and it's, I guess, Mitt Romney's father. Right. Right. He said Romney's a clown. Very, very very liberal conservative and who got basically got drubbed out of the Republican Party eventually by the conservative wing of the Republican Party. Yeah, no, I think that was an interesting – that was a great line. Yeah, it was. I don't understand either, Brian. There is something there that we've not seen on screen. He cares about her. He's worried about her. He hates Don, and Don's Ooh. wife hates Betty. <laughs> you know, uh, so the you know, and the, Betty her, hates Don's wife, who yes. she really can't even deal with as his wife. Still, kind of refers to her as his girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. I hope that this season they expand Betty and somehow make her. A little more than just this shrill ex-wife. I did think it was an interesting, the idea that they're going to go get the Rolling Stones. Peggy's line, that's a client idea if I've ever heard one. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I wanted? I mean, this is definitely not a big topic, but I have to comment on it. Why do Betty and Henry live in the house of the Adams family? I mean, that, that house that they live in, my God, that's... What a dark, dingy-looking place. I wonder if that's on purpose. I, I would assume it's on purpose. It has to be, yeah. I mean, there's, no, there's nothing in Mad Men that's not on purpose. I mean, lighting is, is critical in this show. And this is a dark, and, dingy, old, gothic-looking house that I expected, you know, the Munsters or, or <laughs> the Adams family to live there. And exactly when you think about Don's apartment is also beautiful. Very, yeah, his bachelor I, apartment was yeah. Yeah. His bachelor but, apartment but, was a dark place, wasn't it? Yes. But now then, his new townhouse with the huge windows right. and the white right. carpet and right. very much, you know, so it is a big contrast. So right. I assume this is Henry's home, correct? Because it, it, it looks like he is from money. Yeah. I don't know. It's awfully dark in there. I don't yeah. know. I don't like it. It is. It is very dark. I totally agree with you. I did love the scenes backstage at the concert waiting. I do think they made Harry a little silly. He wouldn't have recognized who the Stones were. When, well, he when was he stoned, was, so who knows? He was stoned, so. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
There we go. And it turns out, this goes back to Matthew Weiner's attention to detail for that period of time, is that there actually was a Rolling Stones commercial that they recorded in like 1963 or 4 That's right. for yeah. some, was a serial? They did a little jingle for it, and so that actually right. did exist. That's pulled from right. reality. When he says right. that, yeah, I thought that was awesome, and I'm sure that if we Googled it, we could find it somewhere, and it would uh, be worth uh, watching. I am wondering, is Pete going to continue being this vindictive <laughs> Roger? Yeah, it certainly looks, it certainly sets up an interesting dynamic. I mean, I think we talked about that last week, uh, that that first two episodes when Pete was really laying it on thick to Roger. That was, I couldn't believe Roger sat there and took it. I think I mentioned that last week. I just was shocked. I think Roger's heading for some kind of critical moment. Something is going to happen, and I don't know if you'll end up on a good side of it. I think something might be heading his way. I just, because he just has no, nothing's positive right now for him, and he's not a force in his own company. His marriage is unhappy, and he made several references to, like, being on the ledge and, like, barely hanging on, and I mean, it's a different character, but last episode, there was a scene, just a beat where uh, Megan was on the balcony of hers, and Visually reminded me of like in Forrest Gump when Jenny is standing on the ledge of her balcony looking down at the worrying traffic below. And I'm like, some of these characters seem like they're just on an edge of something. And it's like, is that a foreshadowing of something impending coming up? I just have a feeling something is brewing for whom and you know when. I'm, it's too early to say. I completely agree with you on the Megan thing. I really thought Perhaps she was going to jump at that point, but every episode of Man Men begins the same way with the man, I guess it's done, falling off the top of the building. Exactly. That's the image we have. So that's an image that comes up. It's there all the time. And we assume it's Dawn, but it may not be. And could it be Roger? Is this a foreshadowing? And kind of in summary my mind, I thought it was another good episode. I had read some fans' disappointment and they were not happy with it. But I've almost reached the point where fans always dislike the episode. And then in retrospect, they come back and go, it wasn't. I thought it was another a good episode, not as strong as the first two. But I thought, as we talked about before, this whole, the cancer scare, the meeting her friend that didn't recognize her. I thought Betty had a pretty good storyline. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine, speaking of cancer, I can't imagine that somewhere in these seven seasons that we've been promised, we won't have done having lung, somebody having lung cancer. Somebody has to get it with all that smoking and just has to happen. Yeah, that's you true. Know, you worry about Roger because he's already had a couple of heart attacks. That's right. And he's not stopped at all. Nope. I mean, that character always has a cigarette in his hand. Always. I've actually noticed Don a little less in the office, maybe. Now, waiting for the concert, it looks like he was bored, so he was smoking. But um, Roger, he always has. And and even though Harry ate uh, 20 uh, White Castles himself, he he actually, the the actor himself has lost a lot of weight between seasons. Yes, he has. He looks really good. And I would say I, I thought the direction was good. Often when actors direct the episodes, I find myself preoccupied with how they stage shots. And I want to see, you know, if they're up to the snuff of directing. But there was no wild shots that called attention to themselves. I thought it was overall just very well done. And the one particular shot that I did enjoy 
was when Betty got the phone call from the doctor and it was a nice medium shot where you're distant and removed from her. There was like a zone of privacy there. The camera didn't get in to see what was going on. And that was almost like the way it should have been. It was just her. Henry was kind of to her side a little bit, but we were removed. And I thought that was a nice staging of the shot. And again, it was very dark and dismal in that staircase. So again, that was, uh, I thought that was well done. I agree. I thought Ham did a nice job. I did too. I was especially enjoyed the ending as someone who is a man of size and have fought weight my whole life. The scene of Betty, dear daughter, do you not want to finish your ice cream? No, I'm I'm full. Which is <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't, that's right. That's Danny DeVino and other people's money asked the question, Do you want a donut? And the lady says I'm not hungry, and he goes, what's being hungry got to do with it, whether you want a donut or not, uh, <laughs> which is the philosophy of my life, and you know, and then she just takes the ice cream and starts eating it alone and just looks just so sad. I thought it was a really nice way to end the episode. Yeah, yeah I agree. Nicely said. It's a good way to end this phone call, too. Yeah. Very okay. nice. Well, thanks, everyone, again, for All listening right. and subscribing. If you want to find us again, we can find our podcast on iTunes and Facebook. The name, again, is Scotch and Smokes, and the website is madcast.net. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. The bar is open. Bye-bye. Bye, all. Bye-bye. Wake up in the morning, there's a slap around the place. Wake up in the morning, there's a crackle in your face. Wake up in the morning, there's a pop that really says, to you and you and you for all the milk and listen to the sound that says it's nice for all the milk and listen to the crackle of that rice get up in the morning to the pop that says it's rice hear them talking crisp rice krispies